The following is a reflection on the readings for Tuesday of the fifth week of Ordinary Time. The first reading is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 to chapter 2, verse 4. The responsorial is Psalm 8, and the Gospel is Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. We continue reading from the opening chapter of Genesis and come to the high point of creation, human beings. The text signals a sudden change in the narrative's structure which up to this point, that is, on the first five days, referenced God simply, saying, Let there be. Now, however, in creating humankind, we hear, quote, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, end of quote. As scholars point out, there seems to be a pause in the sequence of creation, as if God deliberates with himself over the decision to create beings who will image him in crucial ways. The highest aspect of our being in God's image and likeness is the gift of intellect and will, that is, the ability to think and freely choose, what is called a rational nature. With this rational intelligence comes risk. We can not only enjoy intimacy with God through worship and collaboration, but we can also turn away from God to ourselves in pride. The risk is heightened, since in a careful reading of Genesis chapter 1, God seems to have committed himself on oath to humanity and creation itself. We see this in the number 7, which is a dominant feature, as the phrase, it is good, occurs seven times. As well, there are seven days, and God rests on the seventh day. The Hebrew word for seven and the Hebrew word for swearing an oath both derive from the same root word. An example can be seen in Genesis chapter 21, verses 25 to 34, where Abraham and Abimelech make a covenant between their peoples. A dispute had arisen over the ownership rights of a particular well, and in settling the dispute, Abraham gives seven lambs to Abimelech as witness to an agreement and swears a covenant oath of mutual peace calling the place Beersheba, which means seven or oath. Thus God in Genesis chapter 1 sevens himself or binds himself to caring for what he has created. Drama is suddenly introduced into the creation narrative, which will be heightened when Adam and Eve are tested by the introduction of another free creature who invites allegiance. At this point, we turn to today's gospel, from Mark chapter 7, and see the outworkings of freedom gone astray, as Jesus accuses the scribes and Pharisees of abandoning the commandment of God to the following of their own human traditions. Jesus says, quote, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells father or mother, whatever support you might have had from me is korban, that is, an offering to God, then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on, and you do many things like this. End of quote. The warning of Jesus goes unheeded, 
as the scribes and Pharisees continue to harden their hearts in opposition to God and will be crucial in having the word of God who spoke creation into being now taken on our human nature put to death on a cross. God, by swearing an oath at this crucial point in Genesis chapter 1, binds himself to protect creation from utter ruin due to the free actions of mankind. As we ponder these readings, a crucial question to ask is, how am I using my freedom to know and love God for the building of His kingdom? How am I cooperating with the grace God gives me today, especially in these troubled times? Back to Genesis chapter 1, the importance of God bringing forth humankind is emphasized by the three times repeated use of the word create in verse 27. Quote, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. As well, the text returns to the plural form of God. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Recall that in verse 1, the word God in the Hebrew, Elohim, is plural. This, according to scholars, can mean a plurality of majesty and deliberation or exhortation, or a plurality of assembly, as if God is discussing this crucial action with his court of angels. But as the church fathers have noted, there is also a hint of the Trinity. The significance of the plural hinted at here in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 is that with the Trinity as an exemplar, we are oriented in our nature to community and relationship. We are unique in comparison to lower creation in that God has blessed us with a rational nature. We possess self-reflection, creativity, speech, self-determination, and personality. Thus, human dignity cannot be assessed on purely functional grounds, what we achieve or possess, but on who we are created in God's image and likeness. God calls each person by name, considers us his own. Thus later in Genesis chapter 9, God himself is personally violated when his special creation, humankind, is harmed. At this point, we can once again reflect on how am I living up to this great dignity in terms of my relationship with others. Do I consider them also created in God's image and likeness and refuse to judge based on appearance, possessions, or status in the community, on race, gender, or ethnicity? Do I see others as eternally loved by God, who swore himself to care for all creation, and especially for us who have eternal souls, and therefore a destiny either to the beatific vision or separation from God? Do I rejoice with today's psalmist who proclaims, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under their feet. The importance of our special creation is highlighted in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 by the fact that although God in general speaks creation into being, he talks directly 
and uniquely to mankind using the personal address you as in verse 29 behold i give you every plant yielding seed which is upon the earth we are not therefore a something a mere object or possession but a someone in a unique either relationship with god we also possess the power of causality and therefore can be co-creators with god by our thoughts words and actions adding to the richness of the universe which brings us to verse 28 God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves upon the earth. The word subdue has the sense of stewardship, whereby creation is brought by our management to its fruition, so that, just as God brought order out of chaos in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we now, in His image and likeness, can extend that caring mandate. This has enormous implications in terms of our environment and our use of the Earth's resources. Thus a third question to contemplate in today's readings. How am I prudently using the gifts of creation for my benefit and the common good in view of my present needs and in view of future generations yet to come? Finally, we come to the first four verses of Genesis chapter 2 and the institution by God of a Sabbath rest on the seventh day. Verse 3 states, So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. It is a rest of accomplishment, and God blesses the day and sanctifies it. On Mount Sinai, God enacts as the third command, a Sabbath day in remembrance of his creating the world. The Sabbath is for our benefit, as God knows we need to rest from our labors and to remind us that work is not an end in itself, but ordered to proper worship, lest we think everything depends on our feverish activity, or worse still, attempt to recreate the world in our image. The Sabbath rest also points forward to and anticipates the eternal rest of heaven. In the early church, the Sabbath rest was shifted to Sunday, since we celebrate the beginning of the new creation on the day of Christ's resurrection. Hence, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we see Christians gathered together for the breaking of the bread on the first day of the week, and in the book of Revelation, the apostle John, while in worship on the Lord's day, caught up into heaven where he experiences the glorified church of the saints worshiping before the Lamb of God. Thus the final question for reflection. Do we take the opportunity to spend time with God in worship, especially on Sunday, and time for recreation and refreshment with family, realizing that proper leisure is essential to renew our mind, body, and spirit? When we do, we will be better able to glorify God as we continue our journey of faith.